Okay, our speaker tonight is a good friend of mine, and uh, I've heard him a couple times before. I always enjoy listening to him. He's been a member of East One. I think he came with the group, as a matter of fact. With that, let, her, let me introduce You're wondering what an old bastard like me is up here saying all you young people. But you know, it's really great. great you know, I, with a lot of gratitude, I see looking at this tonight, is seeing all you young people here because when I came in, I was the only one around here under 30. And it is tough as hell, I'll tell you, because they thought you had to have one foot in the grave and. 50 years old and you wasn't ready for it. And of course, coming in an alcoholic, uh, uh, I was different from most people. I was resentful as hell of people and I'd come to a meeting and I'd say, well, I don't think he likes me. And then another, well, I don't like him. And then, and then I would have a lot of resentments and things like that. And looking over there toward the men's room, I never will forget my first night here there was a discussion on the floor as to why people come in AA. And I thought, well, hell, I'm the newest member here. I'll get up and throw a little light on the argument. So I was sitting back there in the turret, and uh, so as I rose, all these old gray beards on the front row, they looked at me and glared. And I volunteered my two cents as to why I came to AA. Well, I didn't furnish any solutions to the argument, and I roused a few a little resentment for some of the members, because one of them grabbed me and shoved me against the wall as you go in the men's room. He said, well, Sonny boy, I want to give you a little advice. I never saw anybody that started popping off the first night at an AA meeting ever made it. <laughs> You know, well, my immediate reaction, well, I'll show that son of a bitch. And, uh, you know, uh, and we all know that, that uh, sobriety built on that, uh, that basis is like quicksand, that it's going to soon fold. And uh, that was in May when it came in, and I stayed sober about half drunk, I mean about uh, six weeks. And... Uh, so uh, then I came back and went back to drinking again. And every time I drank, the remorse was greater, the disgust was greater, and I knew, I knew that if I was going to have any happiness in this world, that whiskey and me were going to have to part. And sometime in August, I don't know when, I don't want to know, but I remember it was a Saturday night in August, and I was miserable, and I couldn't go to sleep that night, and the whiskey wouldn't help. I'd gotten to the point where a drink wouldn't do you any good. I got up the next morning, and I was in a state where I wanted to quit, and I went to the zoo, and I ate ice balls without any syrup on them. I figured the syrup would make me sick, but... To, cool the pipes and it came over on Monday night and that was my last drink that was 41 years ago and uh, so uh, 
unless anyone has 42 years, I owe more to AA and should be more grateful than anyone here. Because you're looking at somebody that if it wasn't for AA, if it wasn't for Oak Street, I wouldn't be here tonight. Because if somebody hadn't have killed me, I was a mean and honorary bastard when I drank. <laughs> mind you, mind you, I was different from most people, see, you know, whiskey got in and made me do a lot of weird things. But anyway, uh, if, if somebody hadn't have killed me, why then uh, my health would have taken over and I never would have made it uh, even then. Now, I've done that, though. Not, I'm not trying to establish any record here because I did it one day at a time. And as far as I'm concerned, the one that got up earliest this morning is the one that's been sober longest because that's the way I did it with just one drink at a time. I did in the beginning uh, never think about any goals because if anyone told me then that I would have been sober six months, it was a too overpowering thought to go without, you know, taking a drink. And that's why the thing of one day at a time just seemed to uh, appeal to me. But anyway, there are a lot of paradoxes in AA. There never was anybody that grew up hating whiskey more than I did. As a kid, my father was an alcoholic. To this day, I've never had anything that would get me in the pit of my stomach like when I'd see my father drinking. A telltale sign with him was always his lips seemed to be a little more moist. And I poured out bottles of whiskey and uh, that he had, had staged around the house. And I'd confront him with it. Ha ha, I did it. He accused my mother, remember, one time of pouring the whiskey out. Well, I acknowledge it. And needless to say, I got the hell kicked out of it. <laughs> so anyway, I grew up with that, that feeling. But uh, like most alcoholics, uh, why, uh, at least the ones that I've come in contact with, they, they always ran around with people older than them. And I was playing football and running around with an older bunch of guys. And I never will forget the first time I drank. I, I went to a dance, and uh, uh, the guys, the fellas on the team I was playing with were doing it. We were drinking some homebrew. And I was lucky to have grown up in the bootleg area because that was just before Prohibition ended, and it was kind of a fun time. But we went out to this homebrew joint, and the way you do, you'd go in the kitchen, and they would uh, uh, they'd make this beer, you know, if any of you don't know about it, why, you'd have to leave about that much in the bottom of the bottle, the dregs, because you couldn't drink that. Then you'd pop that cap, and it'd smoke for 15 minutes before you'd put the thing in, and they'd give you a nice mug, and you'd set it on the kitchen table, these, these bootleg joints, we called them, or homebrew joints, and they'd put a few crackers on the beer, on the table, and you could buy them two for a quarter or ten cents straight or however. Well, the guys I ran around with were pretty knowledgeable street people of the day. So street people of the day, what they would do 
if the guy that owned the place wasn't in the kitchen, why well, you'd throw about every other bottle out the window, see, and then uh, he'd come by and he'd count your empties, and uh, so you got a few free that way. But that was that was that was how I first started, and of course, right away with that first home brew, why well, that made uh, you know that made me understand my old man a little bit more. You know, I could understand him. And it made me feel a little bit bigger. I mean, you know, running around with these older guys and trying to keep up with them, doing what they were doing, why it made a bigger man out of me. I stuttered as a kid. And uh, uh, I used to think, well, the girls didn't like me. But when I got that homebrew in me, why, uh, you know, I talked better. I was more articulate. I was a better dancer. And I got along better with the gals, and so naturally it was an elixir of life for me. And that was it. But I don't know whether I'm lucky or, or what. You can term it any way you want to, but I was an alcoholic from the start. I never could drink. I remember during that period going to, and I puked every time I drank, up until the end. And uh, uh, I never will forget going to a dance one night. And a friend of mine came in, and uh, uh, I was heaving at, a, at, the, at the men's room of this gym, this junior college in my hometown. And uh, I had got a little on my jacket, was wiping it off. And uh, <laughs> this fella called me, and he caught me, and they got it in a mission. We went out to a place we used to go, and he poured some cheap perfume on me. And my God, that stayed in that coat as long as I had it. But every time I drank, there's always a, 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 a crisis. Uh, I played football in high school and uh, was a pretty good kicker. And the first game I ever got into, I won a game on kicking. And uh, we were playing this team. And uh, uh, the kicker the week before had missed a couple easy shots, chip shots. And... Uh, so the coach said to me, he said, Little Miller, get in there and keep that head down. Well, I got in, and uh, the next thing I know, and you keep that head down, and they're throwing me all over the ground. It's a rainy, muddy night, and uh, the ball had gone through. The game was over, and we had won by a couple points or one point. Well, I had to go out and celebrate that night. You know, and uh, went to a dance with some of my cronies, and uh, that whiskey made me a big man, and I had a little bit of it, and uh, uh, I did a little puking that night, too, but that is after I came home. I'll get on that. But before I did that, I, uh, I, uh, I uh, uh, was showing these fellas I was with what kind of a kicker I was and how I'd won the game. And I'm a two-step kicker, man, and you can't get it out. Well, one of the assistant coaches was at an all-night filling station and saw me. Now, I'm telling this story for a very definite reason because it's part of my life. That's all I can tell you is what's happened to me. So I came home and uh, heaved all over my kid brother. <laughs> So my family found out about it for the first time. First time they had seen anything about it. And I had so much remorse the next morning 
that I hitchhiked out of town and went to another town about 25 miles from my own town where I knew a couple gals and stayed over there all day long. And I thought, well, that's it. It's never going to happen again. Well, I came home. I thought I was low. But, hell, I had been on a high all that day for what was going to happen because the coach came by and got my father and me in the living room, and he proceeded to tell my father that uh, I was going to have to be kicked off the football team for a couple of weeks. Discipline. Need that discipline. Well, you know, kid, sophomore in high school, the first thing he'd done. Well, the only thing I didn't drink after a game anymore. I mean, I didn't do that, and, and I don't think I did any more that season. But it didn't stop my drinking. Now, I tell that story for one reason. I came to Cincinnati. I was with a company that I retired from a couple years ago, 47 years ago. Well, the first customer I called on for the company had to get me out of jail for drunken driving. <laughs> you know, I mean, here we go, that pattern again. Won a football game, did the kick, do something you'd be proud of yourself over. Boom, you get knocked right down from it. I get a territory. I'm down in North Carolina. And uh, uh, the company I was with sponsored a golf tournament. I was in, I was in Asheville, North Carolina, and I went out to this little town where I was going to work Monday. And I'd gotten drunk in Asheville the night before. And I thought it was uh, the middle of the afternoon. Actually, it was the middle of the morning. And I get out there and uh, checked in the hotel, and the fella said, I bet you'd like to play golf. And I said, oh, hell yeah. He said, well, I'll call out and get you a game. So he he did and played golf and wound up uh, 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 coming back. And uh, uh, the fellow that I played with got me a date, and we went out to clubhouse with the pro and I told a lot of lies and name dropped golfers that I didn't even know see we had sponsored this tournament and you know and uh, uh, we spent the evening and I wind up drinking about a fifth of Yellowstone and uh, uh, took my gal home well they used to say to me they said Joe you're one of these one more guys you won't go home when the party's over who in the hell wants to go home man when that furnace is going good and you're feeling good so so I take this gal home and I went out to a, a, a beer joint and as I'm driving back through why uh, why uh, I get pulled over and I get pulled over and uh, uh, they threw me in the jail now I called on a customer and hell they didn't like me too well with that company so imagine what would have happened if I phoned in or sent a telegram in. I'm in jail in Morganton, North Carolina. Send somebody down to drive me or, or get me out of jail or what. Well, they just said, rot there, you son of a bitch. We'll get somebody else to travel. But anyway, that was it. And as luck would have it, and which has been my maybe a higher power or somebody was looking out for me, and I was in jail with a bootlegger. And I said to this old boy, I said, well, what will they do with me? He said, they'll send you to Spindale. 
Well, if any of you have ever traveled in North Carolina, they have marvelous roads down there. Great roads. But the reason they have good roads is they have that chain gang out there working on them all the time. See, I mean, they have that little truck and that guy with this big gun out there and they're widening and working on the berms. and just So they have great roads. So anyway, I could see myself or that guy with that big gun making little ones out of the big ones. and uh, But uh, so anyway, I said to the jailer, I said, well, would you please call a man named Luke Woodbury? He's my customer, and I've never forgotten his name because uh, uh, heaven knows what would have happened if, it, if that hadn't have happened. But anyway, I got a hold of Luke Woodbury. Now that's in the Bible Belt, and I don't, say that disparagingly, but that part of the country, they don't believe in drinking, dancing, uh, playing cards, and uh, maybe screwing. I don't know. I mean, they might even exclude that. But, but they have to do that because it's populated down there. So, I mean, after, you know, they don't take that entirely. But anyway, anyway, so he, so, uh, so uh, can you imagine this now, uh, uh, having somebody that would be sensitive and would listen to a, a salesman that was in jail that he didn't even know. And he came over, and I told him what had happened, and he said, well, the judge was over at my house Saturday night. We were playing bridge. And they released me in his custody, and he said, go on by the hotel and, uh, and uh, get, get cleaned up and come down to the store, and I'll talk to Judge, he's a friend of mine. Well, see, this man, the reason he was so understanding, a similar incident had happened to him in his younger days. He traveled for a firm out of Chicago and traveled over in southern Illinois, Benton, Illinois, and... And he got thrown in jail about 50 miles from my hometown. Can you imagine luck like that, having somebody stand it? And at that time, in North Carolina, any time they'd get you drunk, catch you driving drunk, it was mandatory. They'd make a, a citation and record, and they'd send it to Raleigh, the state capital. And uh, that was it. You know, you had to, you were suspended of driving for a period of, I don't know, six months, a year, however longer. Because I know that because a friend of mine had to leave the University of Kentucky and uh, and uh, come down and drive his father because a similar thing happened to him. But anyway, he said, I'll fix it where they won't make a record and, and uh, you can drive. Well, that was a twofold. In other words, this thing happens... But it was good for me, and, uh, and because uh, I didn't drink and drive anymore. I would work like hell, and uh, because that, you know, that was uh, not because it was the honorable thing to do, but because I needed the money to finance that abundant life I thought I wanted to lead, to buy the whiskey and all of the good things, because I had nobody giving it to me. So then I'd work like hell for two weeks or three weeks. Then I'd have certain towns I'd lay in drunk for two or three days in. And then I'd work like hell to, you know, to cover up and backtrack and do that. And a 
stayed ahead of the game and did one hell of a job for the company. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it in my own mind. I never will forget getting in town after that trip and checked in the Netherlands Plaza then. That was the Omni now. I went down a bar I used to drink called the Arcade Bar that was an old water and hole of mine and ran into a friend of mine and uh, who worked for the company. And he said, boy, they're talking about Miller. You've done a super job. And I didn't know that. I mean, I was just working like hell and expecting to get fired when I got back. And, you know, you know, didn't know guilt about this rock over here, see? And uh, so anyway, he said, man, you've had the best trip of anybody in the house. And, uh, and I didn't know that. So, well, what do you do? You get out and you get celebrate. You know. And I did. I got out and got drunk and lost my car that night. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was my pattern right on through. I can sit here, I can get in England, and I, you know, I could really tell you some wild ones over there about the Air Force and, uh, uh, you know, some situations I was in over there. I could be here all night long with you. But I want you just to see the pattern, what whiskey did for me. And then... And then I get uh, I get uh, home and I'm engaged and uh, crazy about this gal and uh, uh, incidentally I mean she was, had been engaged to my best friend but he was in the Pacific and I beat him home so uh, you know I mean that's a, you know I mean that's kind of a hairpin out of us. You know, I mean, I was doing it. So anyway, anyway, I'm that down in this arcade, arcade bar again, and I introduced her to Rooney. Rooney was a house detective at the Netherlands in those days. Gene Scanlon will remember him, a great, big, lovable Irishman. That I used to get in there and get in fights, and he'd throw the other guys out. <laughs> you know, and hell, I would have been killed if it hadn't been. Ben Faruni, and so he had a heart attack, and he was no longer the house detective at the Netherlands anymore, and he was the, uh, he was the, uh, uh, kind of running that arcade bar. Well, I take this gal down there, and I'm introducing her to Rooney, and John, who was my best friend, who was in the Pacific, introducing her as his, his girlfriend. And hell, an hour later, we're over in the corner just making out to beat hell. I mean, having drinks, you know, kissing, not not the other stuff. I mean, I, I did draw the line on that. But anyway, that was, uh, I came back home, and uh, so then this gal began to not understand me, and I was being pushed around, and, uh, and uh you know, being kicked around, and they didn't understand me at the office, and uh, she was treating me pretty lousy, and so I thought, well, I've always been a horse player, and the Kentucky Derby was on, and I think, well, I'll go to the Derby. So I live from pillar to post. I paid my bills. But not because that was the honorable thing to do, but because I was a check tighter. And I'd get paid once a month, say the 1st or the 30th. Two days later, I was broke. Literally broke, and I'd have 
I'd have to borrow money from people to cover checks I had out or do this or that, and, and that was my pattern. Hell, I had an unlimited expense account when I was on the road and wasn't married, but I was broke all the time, didn't have a dime. But anyway, so what do you do if you want to go to the races and you're broke? You go to the bank and borrow some money. Well, that's what I did. I went down at Fifth Third and borrowed some money and went to the races. Went down, and this is the best race I ever went to because I got down and I found out my cousin and his wife were NAA. And I thought, boy, that's wonderful for them. But I don't need it. And my cousin was a man that I had hero-worshipped as a kid. I mean, I was trying to play football, but uh, I never could have carried his jock strap because he was... He, he he was a great he was a great ball player. He was on he he was on a team of a little school down at in Kentucky that went up and beat Harvard. And uh, so nicely having a cousin on that, why that was a great thing. But it kind of hurt me to see way that he was drinking and uh, and he had quit and his wife had quit and they were in AA. And I thought that was wonderful because they served me drinks. They didn't preach to me like my old man did. See, my father, I would come home and uh, they used to lock my car, throw my keys in the trunk and all sorts of things to keep me from driving my car at Christmas when I would come home because I'd be drunk. And Dad, Dad worried to death about me. See, I told you he was a drunk when I was a kid. Well, he quit on his own. And he was one of these types that he wanted to break all the bars and throw all the whiskey in the river. Well, that made absolutely nothing to me. And I told you I was different from most people. And my cousin and his wife didn't take a frontal attack on me. Had they taken a frontal attack, because I was, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive. And uh, uh, they can't talk to me that way. And I'll show them. And... Uh, by God, I'll show them you go telling me that stuff. Well, uh, they didn't talk that way, and it made sense. And they said, uh, well, this is what worked for us. You know, we joined AA, and they continually served me whiskey in their home. And I'm grateful for that, because had they taken another approach and said, you're an alcoholic, why don't you do something about that? Why, uh, you know, I wasn't one for confrontation. I mean, confrontation, boy, I just go right the other way. And I, nothing wrong with confrontation. I can only just talk about old Joe. And anyway, so uh, so that, that made an impression on me. And that I thought, boy, that's great for them, and I'm so glad they quit. And God rest his soul, a man, maybe some of you knew here, but... I'd gone down with Pete McCarthy, and uh, Pete wasn't in yet, and Pete's brother-in-law was training horses for Graham Brown. Well, he had a horse that was going to run on Monday, and uh, he told me about it. He was going to win. Well, I told you I had saved a little of money I'd borrowed from the bank, and the damn horse won, and I had a pile of money, and I stayed drunk all week. And so... I decided, well, I'd go back to Louisville and get some more of that money. It's easy. And stayed drunk and went back. And 
went to races, and I had six out of eight winners that day out at the track. And I won about uh, $900. And the next thing you know, I'm in the Louisville jail. <laughs> Roll, didn't know how I was in there. Didn't know how I got there. The last thing I remember, I was one of these loud drunks. I'd table hop and tell lies and sang with the band. One of the most obnoxious son of a bitches in the room. That, that ever, even the drunks wanted to suck off the side, see? So I'm singing. I'm trying to sing with the band. and I never told a lie in my life but what I didn't get caught up with. And I ran into a doctor in Louisville that I'd gone to school with. By that time, over this winning this money and talking about, I remember somebody, you know, you have to have a little germ there to, to, to get you off in a direction. Somebody in my box there that day, I was falling all over the place and wanted to know if I wasn't a horse owner the way I was picking them, because I did. I told you I won 900 that day. So anyway... By the time I got out of the bluegrass room of the Brown Hotel, I was telling people about that stable of horses I owned at Churchill Downs. <laughs> well, I told you, I never told a lie without getting caught up with. I ran into Palmer Jones, this doctor, and he knew I couldn't afford a pack of cigarettes, let alone have a stable of horses. So anyway, the next thing you know, I'm in jail. My cousin could get you out of murder in Louisville. <laughs> he knew everybody there. And uh, I got his number mixed up with a girl I knew in, in Indianapolis. <laughs> and her number was a Wabash exchange, and theirs was Magnolia, and I gave the Wabash exchange, and they couldn't get him. Well, they hauled me over to the main jail. And the fella called me over, and I didn't know what I was in there for. Hell, I, I knew nothing happened at the Brown because the assistant manager was on duty, and I'd always stayed there, and I knew he'd take care of me. Apparently, I'd just gotten out on the street and passed out, and they brought me in. So the man read out the charge. He just drunkness, and he called me over, and he said, Look, Miller, he said, uh, you've got a watch. I had an Air Force watch I had a little sentiment attached to. And he said, you've got a watch and $45 over to precinct. Well, boy, my heart just jumped up my mouth because when I left Churchill Downs that day, and the last race, I come from Paducah, Kentucky, and I never, I never will forget this. There was a horse called Paducah, and I bet 100-100 on him, and he ran second and paid 880 I got back $440 on that bet. And the guy was giving me some... Uh, $100 bills, and I reached in and gave me some more, and I know I had $900 bills. And when he said $45, why my, you know, I didn't know what the hell. I, so I wasn't going to say anything. What the hell? I, I put myself in that situation, and I think somebody reached in the wallet not knowing what they were going to get got those $100 bills. And so anyway, I went back. Either I gave the guy $30, and went back my way and uh, so uh, so anyway I, I uh, went back by my cousins and had a cussing match with him I mean he was pretty mad and 
told him what a lousy son of a bee he was. Came, came on back to Cincinnati. Well, I'm going to tell you how, how, how great I felt after I got back. I got back, and the people that I lived with, they wouldn't let anybody but uh, people that worked for my company live there, and it was just a convenience and uh, hell. And uh, so they'd even kept my room for me during the war. And I got back, and this man I lived with said, Joe said, my wife's lived for me for 35 years, and she's never had to clean up anything like that for me. And, what in the hell are you talking about? Well, I didn't know this, and and he and I had heaved all over my bed, and went off to Louisville, and I didn't know it. So help me, I didn't. I mean that I absolutely didn't know it. I remember the night before I'd gone uh, over to Shay's Cafe over there and uh, had a few drinks, and by that time I knew I wasn't going to sleep, and I didn't take many sleeping pills. And uh, uh, not because I had anything against them. I just, uh, you had to have prescriptions, and I didn't know about them. I mean, I'd, uh, so anyway, I'd, I'd occasionally, I'd taken to sleep. So I went over to a drugstore, and the guy said, uh, I said, have you got any sleeping pills? He said, have you got a prescription? And I said, no, but I need one. I said, you know, those goddamn planes are coming at me 12 o'clock high. Well, all night, I was just out of the war. I see them, I can't sleep. And he said, well, here, he said, uh, said uh, take this, uh, what the hell was it? It's an Alka-Seltzer that you, that, it's made by Alka-Seltzer. No, no, it's a fizz. It's like Alka-Seltzer. I don't know whether they make them anymore or not. I can't think the name of them. I'm, yeah. Well, it is like a bromo, but it's a round tablet, like an Alka-Seltzer. Well, anyway, I, you put them in there like you do Alka-Seltzer. So I got them, and instead of going back uh, home and taking them and going to bed, what do you do when you get them? What's a sensible thing for an alcoholic to do? You go back to the bar, get a double shot, let them fizz, drink the whiskey, mix the other. And I guess I was just crazy as a loon, and that's what made me, you know, get up and get that. But see there again, like I told you, was the football game. I mean, there had a little thing, and they had a little one a game, and boom. First customer called on for the company and get ready to get a nice territory. Get out and get drunk. Four called on and get thrown in jail. Here I went $900 at a racetrack, the biggest, I hadn't had one that much since. And, uh, and I by God, and by God, I've been playing them almost every day since. Ask O'Brien if you don't believe. But anyway, I got, uh, I got, uh, $900 and got rolled and wound up in jail. And that was the way that it was, and that was, get over and find out about this, and then, uh, I decided, well, I'm going to come to AA. And that's when I referred to about that night when I was leaning over there in the, in the hall. Well, I didn't like anybody here. I never will forget. And, and really, it was a the thing. They thought, hell, you had to be 50 and two, one foot in the grave. And, 
ago. I never will forget. We had a we started an under thirty five group, and we'd meet upstairs. And there were about four or five of us here then, and we'd be out at the big meeting here, and same damn desk, same old thing here, same chair, and they'd say, "All right, under thirty five group, you can take off and go upstairs after the." the 12 steps and all, and uh, we'd get up and go. And there was a gal, beautiful girl, that was about 38, and it just bugged the hell out of her because she was trying to look 28. <laughs> and we'd leave, and she couldn't go, and he said, it's an honest program, and uh, she had stayed down here. Finally, she got there, and she literally shook me. She said, you son of a bitch, why did you start that under 35 group? I said, why? I said, well, I don't like sitting there and letting everybody know my age. And I said, well, hell, you don't have to, you know, and then, But anyway, that was a stage. I didn't like anybody around here, as I say, and I was different from most people. I see him and don't like him. And the only person I liked was my sponsor. And... Uh, he was a great guy. I mean, I could, I could never have made it without him. And he was the only one I liked. A little guy. He was in the real estate business out in Wyoming. And, uh, so uh, uh, I stayed sober about six weeks. And I told John that resentment. Why well, you're going back to drinking? And I don't know whether somebody was saying a prayer for me or what. At that time, I was raised in a religious home, but I thought there were too many good people around for God to look after me. I had no credentials to worry God with. And uh, so I hadn't asked God for help or hadn't asked, and I wasn't sure what I thought about it. I don't think I was an agnostic. But uh, anyway, I had... Uh, uh, I had uh, uh, went back to drinking after about six weeks. And from the time that I was exposed to AA, it seemed like something was funneling me in this direction. Because if I'd had my druthers, I probably wouldn't have been here. I didn't want to be here. But every time I would drink, after being exposed up here, the remorse was greater the disgust was greater. This young lady that I was engaged to, uh, uh, I went up to her brother's wedding up at Portsmouth, and uh, after the reception was over, why, uh, in the wedding, everybody went out on the river up there. A lot of those Portsmouth people have summer homes or cabins out on the river, and they wound up a big party out there. Well, it wasn't any fit of exhibitionism or anything like that. Hell, I just had to go. That's the way uh, beer and whiskey made me, and a couple of her aunts and her mother saw me. And she didn't tell me until I got back. I mean, urinating at a wedding reception, that, that's kind of a, uh, not, not all, it doesn't cheer you up too much. Well, I felt about that high. I felt pretty lousy. So there again, I was telling you, I was being... Finally, every time that remorse and disgust was greater. But I continued to drink, and she called me up and uh, begged me to take her out. 
And I never will forget as we were riding a cab, we are going out to Castle Farms. And we are going out Reading Road, and she says, you belong up there. And I very dramatically said, don't even mention my name with those good people. I'm not worthy of being with them. Well, anyway, I couldn't go anywhere and be just plain Joe Miller. I had to put on the act. And so uh, this was a band that I danced to a couple times, and it made us old friends. And he was on his way down, and uh, I had him over giving him drinks after every set, and he wasn't impressed. I mean, she wasn't impressed with it. And uh, so I came home, and her cousin was spending the night with her. And I made a lot of nasty remarks around that, and I made a hell of a scene of that. And so I knew that I was going to hate to wake up the next morning, the way I treated that girl. And I smacked her around. Now, I'm not proud of that. This is a thing, but I'm telling you what had happened and what did for me. But that was the thing that turned me around. Here I had lived by a code that if a guy ever touched a woman, he was the lowest down son of a bitch in the world, and there I was smacking around a girl I was in love with. And well, that's when I went to the, to the, uh, to the, zoo the next day and ate the ice without the syrup on it and walked around and didn't drink and that was my last drink. Now I called my sponsor because he was the only one that uh, that uh, I liked around AA and I came over and we're sitting right about under that chandelier there I got a lot of memories of this place and he said uh, Joe, he said, uh, have you asked God for help? And I said, no. He said, well, why don't you? And he said, that's part of AA. That's AA program. He said, I would suggest to you that you read the book and try to live by the steps if you want to quit drinking the AA way. That's what it's all about. And if you have any problem, read chapter, go back and read chapter 5 again and do what it says in that. And that's what I've done over the years, and I started asking God for help. And I didn't have any contact with God in the beginning, but I heard somebody say, you live by faith until you acquire faith. And I went through the motions. If somebody had told me to go down and sweep Fountain Square every day, that would have kept me sober. I would have done that. This is the end of side one. Turn tape over now to hear side two. The unhappiness that I'd had, it caused me nothing but trouble. And I knew that if I was going to have a measure of happiness out of life, why well, whiskey and me were going to have to part. So I started doing that. I started coming to meetings, and I started listening with different ears and seeing with different eyes. And all of a sudden, I began to like Joe Miller better. And I began to learn, and I'm convinced today that uh, uh, 
uh, anytime. Hell, I, that's why I still come around. That's why I'm leading here tonight, because I need AA. I think anybody that is as young as most of you all are, and we are out there, hell, I think we were probably worse alcoholics than a lot of the old timers were. I mean, uh, really, if you got there in the 20s, see, when I came, I say this for this reason, a lot of these people that were 40 and 50 and 60 when I came in, they were doing controlled drinking in their 20s and 30s. So I figure, hell, if I'm this way in my late 20s, why, uh, what the hell will I be when I get 50 or 60? I probably won't even get there. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have because I've got two or three stories. I, hell, you haven't heard nothing yet. I mean, I just, I, I mean, I soft pedal it. I mean, if I told you, you know, some of the real stuff, man, you'd, you'd, you'd really understand if you have any doubts that whether I'm an alcoholic or not. But any, anyway, I started, I started, uh, uh, that was uh, uh, my approach to AA. And it's amazing what you can find out and what you can learn. And I never will forget being back in there one night and uh, uh, the first man that I ever worked with, and I hope I never forget this, Alcoholics Anonymous is for one, and anybody that's on drugs or whatever, it's for one thing, it's to help. It's to help. Nobody here can judge. Nobody has it made. And we don't want anybody, no matter how many times they've had problems, is to ever make it hard for them to come back. I never will forget one of the things in my career in AA that I'm not at all happy about. But I learned a hell of a good lesson that night. We had, uh, we were going to have an all-star cast up here. It's going to be a, going to be a, a night when you had uh, a question and answer session and told they had Herb up, Cole's grandfather, Herb Heakin and Wade Hoyt and Mal Chandler. Mal was a great AA too and forgot who else and uh, they were going to have question and answers from the store floor on Monday night. Well on Thursday or previous to the week previous to that the secretary had called me and said, Joe, there's a fellow I want you to talk to. And I went in and met him, and he and his wife were in there. And this fellow had been a railroad fireman. And that's when you had the steam trains going back. That. And he had fallen against a firebox on the rock. So blistered up and... Uh, his wife brought him around for to AA, and this was the first person I ever worked with. So the great Miller is going to save somebody, you know, going to save a soul from the depths of alcoholism, good brethren. And uh, so anyway, I went in and met he and his wife and uh, talked to him and uh, said, come over Saturday night, that's family night, and this and that, and uh, uh, talk to him a little about AA and what it's all about, and then uh, said, be sure Monday night is going to be that question-answer session, and told him, eat a little candy, and uh, that'll take care of that sugar that we missed from the alcohol, and 
get out and take walks and and the fella had to, he had the shakes and was in pretty damn bad shape. Well, Saturday night they came over, and I guess they still have rules around here. But in those days they had rules against card playing. They had I don't know where they had, and you had one faction that liked card playing and one faction that didn't. And uh, then they were always fussing, and if you'd had a drink within. Uh, six days or something you couldn't get in a card game or I don't know that's some sort of a rule but this fellow was up playing cards and one of the good brethren trotted down after me and said Joe I just want to tell you something he said that fellow you're sponsoring I smell whiskey on his breath and god damn I said that's not whiskey man he was on wine and wine permeates your Again, it's hard to get get that smell away from me. See, the great Miller, that old ego came in. I was going to save this man from the depth of alcoholism. And uh, my ego, I didn't want anybody to think the Miller, the great Miller was failing, see. So I said, oh, no, hell, he's, he's been on that wine. That's it. And I didn't say anything to him. I gave him a pat on the back and said, look, go home. Eat candy, take those walks, and don't drink. And now get over here on Monday night. Monday night pointed time came for the all-star performance up here, and I seemed to get attracted to that turret back there, and my ass is firmly planted back there, comfortably. And uh, this fellow never showed up. And I saw him come in the door after it was started, red-faced, flushed, and he sat down out there in the hall, and instead of going over to him, because any a blind man would have known that he was drunk and uh, that needed something, but I didn't want to be bothered. I wanted to hear these learned men up here. So there was a discussion from the floor as to the spiritual side of the program. And one of them was trying to answer it up here, probably your granddad, <laughs> and So I hear this voice from out in the hall, there we go on that goddamn religion again. <laughs> well, with my halo firmly planted in place and my wings flapping rhythmically, I flew across and threw him out of the damn Oak Street. Now, how ridiculous can you be? Three months prior to that, I'd been smacking women around and urinating at wedding receptions. You know. And I mean, how ridiculous can you be? I mean, hell, this is AA is for drunks. That's what you expect for. And I don't want to ever forget that. I don't want to ever forget that. We're not a holy than our bunch. Where in the hell would anybody go that has a drinking problem if it isn't a AA? And you know, this is the thing about it. We can jest and laugh now. But you know, I never saw that man again. I don't know what happened to his life. I don't know what happened. You know, we see us all here, and uh, this guy's got a lot of time in, and this guy's happy, and this is that. 
and it's great. But I wonder what the panorama would look like if you could suddenly show it up there behind you of people that came here that didn't make it. I wonder what their life is like. You know, I don't know why I've made it. I don't know why God's been good to me. There was a time in my thing when I had all the answers. You know, you got to do this, you got to do this. The longer I'm in AA, the less I know about it, but I just know that it works, and I'm awfully grateful for it. But, uh, but uh, I'm sure that many people that have come in that have tried as hard as I have, that wanted it just as bad, deserved it just as much as I have, and didn't make it. And I have. And I'm so grateful for that, that, that I can spend the rest of my life doing whatever can and I, I can never pay the debts that it uh, has done for me. The main thing, I don't want it. I listen. I love AA people. Most of my friends are in AA. Hell, AA is, is uh, I like to, I'm, I'm not, so I, I, I can't help but doing this, but he meant so much in my help was Herb. Herb used to say that uh, you've got to live AA. Jeannie, that's it too, you too, you know, and, that, and certainly if anybody ever lived it, why, he did, and he told me that, and that's what I've, tried to do is to live AA. I learned a lot of things, and I'll wrap this up in a minute. Uh, if any of you happen to travel or anything like this, and uh, I've traveled and stayed away from the base a lot, and uh, I'm not much on anonymity. I always like to remark that a man said, I would never, I would never uh, divulge anybody else. That's their own thing. If anybody wants you to an anonymous, stay anonymous. That's fine. The main thing, don't drink. And uh, But the thing that I've uh, found out that I've always, I found out early in the game that I would discuss AA every chance I got. Now, I mean that like I was traveling, and I'll give you a for instance. I was in a little town, and uh, this customer of mine was going to turn it at business over to his son. And his son got a drunken driving deal in the town. Everybody in the town knew about it. And he got out and was telling me about it. And uh, so I edged over to him. His dad wanted to turn the business over to him. And, uh, but he didn't know what to do with this thing. So I was talking to this young fellow, and he said, uh, and he said to me, he said, uh, well, he said, uh, Joe said, I think we can stay off of it about a year, then go back to drinking, and we'll be drink normal. Well, when he said that, I poured it into him. I said, look, I don't care how long you stay off of it. When you go back, it's going to be the same thing. I said, I don't have any idea that I might go out and, have a few today and get by with it, and maybe tomorrow. Then again, I may not, but I know this. Sooner or later, I'm going to be right back in that squirrel cage I was when I quit drinking. And I know that that's going to come. That I do know. Now, how soon it's going to come, I don't know when, but I know it'll be there, and it isn't worth it with me. And I said, it'll happen with you, too, because if you're an alcoholic, well, you can't drink. 
And when that happens, I said, and you're in that hospital in Memphis. I said, contact Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, that's what I did. And I said, I think I've found an answer to it. I'm not going to try to preach to it or tell you about it, but just give it a try then. And Because I think the time has to be right, and I don't think you'd listen to me now. Well, I'm, I left there just feeling great. And something seemed to come to me to say, well, discuss it every chance you get. Every time it opens it up. And that's what I've done, and that's how I've stayed sober away. Unfortunately, it didn't work for this fella. Uh, about two years later, he wrapped a car around a tree and was killed in a drunken stupor that but I have done that being away, and I, I, I was in a business where I had to do a lot of entertaining. And as I said, one of the, uh, one of the attractions to me in AA was the fact that uh, you could have whiskey around. I mean, I, had, uh, I wouldn't have advocate this for anybody else, but for me, that was the way I used to do it. And I used to put on a show for them. I mean, I'd, uh, I'd be giving whiskey with people and they'd say to me uh, Joe don't you drink and I'd be serving it to them I said no I'm one of those guys that can't drink but I said I can pour a little of it on me and I pour a little of it on me God that smells good you know and uh, let them go at that but that would be the extent of it but invariably invariably when I would do that Somebody would come up to me and said, Joe, how did you quit drinking? And I'd say, oh, we're joining AA. And then uh, they'd say, well, I've got a wife or I've got a son. And we'd get over the corner and we'd discuss AA. And I'm sure that would keep me sober. I had a, uh, I had a case in uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, and had a fellow... Uh, I was working with, and my wife was coming out to uh, another town out there to meet me for the weekend. And he said, "Joe, I've got to, I've got to take my son to a Boy Scout dinner." I said, uh, "Why don't you go have dinner and have a couple drinks?" And uh, it'll only take me 30 minutes to finish you up. But I said, "I just got to leave now." And uh, he said, uh, "You have a couple drinks and dinner, and I'll meet you back here, and we'll get you squared away." And I said to him, I said, well, I'll have dinner, but not the drinks. And he said, well, why don't you drink? I said, no, I'm one of these guys that can't handle it. I always throw that in there, just see what it leads to. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, how'd you quit by joining AA? I said, yeah. He said, you know, I think that's the most wonderful organization in the world. He said, uh, my wife's a member and said I had her up in Columbus at a hospital up there a couple times and said uh, we have two kids we're trying to raise and she has a brother in Philadelphia that's a doctor I called him I said man I can't do any more and he said well send her up here and we'll put her in a hospital here and get her an AA and she did and she came back to Wheeling and uh, started an AA group well, every time I went to Wheeling after that, why well, I had to uh, had to 
go to an AA meeting and uh, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe I got a lot of uh, help there from somewhere I don't know about. That's the way the thing works. And the biggest one, and I'll end it on this one, was I had been sober for about six weeks, six months, and I was in St. Louis. And it was the first time I'd been in St. Louis since I'd been in AA. Now, St. Louis was a town that I grew up near as a kid. And used to go over there to baseball games and go over with my old man and uh, so do a lot of drinking over there. And I, I traveled near there and associated a lot of liquor with it. And uh, then during the war, I was stationed out at Wendover Field in Utah and I'd Changed trains at St. Louis, coming home on leave, and and I smelled that coal smoke in St. Louis, or they drank that water, and it'd kind of get me off, and it'd take me three days to change trains in St. Louis, and uh, so this now I'm in St. Louis, and the first time that I've uh, I've uh, been there since I'd quit drinking. Well, I was traveling over, I had some towns over in southern Illinois, and this how cunning things will work on you. I could have worked over there all afternoon. I had a confirmed room, confirmed reservation at the Statler Hotel, and I used to have to use a sample room in my business. So I said, uh, thought, well, you better get on over there instead of working here in southern Illinois, and Make sure you get your room. You might get tied up and get in late and not get it. Well, I went in. It's about 1 o'clock. I have time on my hands, and I have a cousin there that was in a bank across the street. I never did like him anyway, and that uh, went in and talked to him, and that almost made me want to go out and get drunk. But anyway, this was I was associating St. Louis with drinking. I went around to some of my old haunts and I drank half Coke and half 7 up. That makes a dry Coca-Cola and you can tolerate a few more of them, man. And I was drinking those and in bars, mind you, that I used to drink. So I called out to the group that night and they were meeting in a, over a bar. And I, so I decided, well, I'd go out to at the meeting, I even had dinner in a bar. And I got up there, and as I walked in, said to the secretary, said, I'm Joe Miller from Cincinnati. Brother said, glad to have you with us, Joe. He said, there's some more uh, uh, vistas over there. Go over and meet them. And I thought, well, damn, this cold-blooded son of a bitch. Thank God I didn't get my A here. I'd be drunk now. You know, the great Miller arrived. It had, had six weeks of sobriety, something that probably millions of people do every year. That, uh, hey, I guess I won't. I guess I wanted them to announce my arrival with a blare of trumpet or cut a cake or something and uh, because I'd had six months of sobriety. Well, anyway, there was a meeting that night, at that, at that meeting that night, there was the discussion on 
when we were wrong promptly admitted and continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it. I thought, well now, I haven't had an inventory for a long time. So I went back to the hotel and I got two pieces of stationery and I put the good on one and the bad on the other. Well, I filled up the bad and on the good one, to be completely honest, I had three or four things on that, but I had to put a question mark by them just to be honest in the thing. <laughs> so anyway, I've, I've done that, and over these time, I've, I've, any time I'm fouled up, I look inward. And that was a good, good uh, example for me that night. When, when I think I don't need a meeting, that's when I do need a meeting. That's when I go. When I go to a meeting and people are annoying me and I don't like him or I don't like him or he's not talking about me or what's that wise damn speaker doing, that's when I need to maybe go home and take that inventory. And I've always found an answer to it in here. Uh, Maybe I'm a worst alcoholic of the bunch, but after 41 years, I need it just as bad. Because I've still got the personality there. I've still got that little boy in Joe Miller that's wanting approval. I said I was going to end. That's another trouble with most alcoholics. You know, they can't shut up. But I've got one other story I'll tell that I think it's pertinent. Now, I've been sober for 10 years, and I walk in my office, and you know, we don't like authority. Nobody can tell us anything. I get, I walk in, and my sales manager says, hi, Joe. I said, well, goddamn you. He said, what brought that about? I said, well, by God, I spoke to you 10 times, and you didn't even acknowledge it. Now you finally acknowledge me, and you want me to jump with joy. See, see what happened to me. That little boy pops out occasionally. I want that approval. I wanted him to run over and say, Joe, we can't run this company without you. You're the best salesman I've got. Well, listen, it's, it's rambling all. That's one of my thoughts. I talk too damn long. And they're coming down from upstairs. And uh, so I guess I better stop it. And thank you for inviting me over. And again, it's... Uh, just great seeing all you young people here. Thank you.